1: Back to Legends Live, as presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association, the home of all our NBA and WNBA legends. I'd like to remind you, you can submit questions during the show that we will answer before we wrap up. Without any further ado, I'd like to welcome today's guest. We have former Miami of Ohio Red Hawk. He was a five-time All Star with the Boston, or excuse me, with the Cincinnati Royals, and a champion with the Boston Celtics. And he was also the first Black general manager and team president in NBA history. We've got Mr. Wayne Embry. Thank you for joining us. How are you, this I'm doing well. How are you, sir? How how are things your way? Good, thank you. Good, good. Well, how are I, I like to ask people? You know, how are you doing? How are you keeping busy during during this time?
2: Well, it's very difficult now because they are pretty much homebound,
1: mm.
0: staying locked
2: in and going out very little. I was in Toronto with the Raptors for two and a half weeks, mm. Uh but. Now I just watch news and watch games on television, college and, and pro games on television. That's about all we can do.
1: How was the two and a half weeks with Toronto? How was that?
2: Well, it was good. We got tested every day and with mm-hmm. uh, the practice to kind of stay away from the players and the coaching staff because of following protocol mm-hmm. and uh, went to the games and it was good. Yeah. It's pretty lonely though because you go back to your room and, Pretty much isolated in your room or in the hotel, but yeah. where the times are now, and we got to hope and pray that we get through them.
1: Absolutely. Hopefully sooner than rather than later. Now, I mentioned you were Cincinnati Royal, but you were drafted by the St. Louis Hawks. So as an Ohio native, were you happy to get back closer to home, or did you want to get to St. Louis? How did you feel about that?
2: Well, firstly, I, I had no idea I'd be drafted. I didn't know that much about the NBA. I wanted to be a Harlem Globetrotter.
1: Okay,
0: and
2: I got a call
1: from uh, Marty Blake, who
2: was general manager of the uh, St. Louis Hawks, and said they had drafted me. Mm. And I said, "Fine. What comes next?" (laughs) Now what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know much about you know what uh, the dynamics were in those days, Mm. and so uh, I get a call a little bit later on the next day or so. I've been traded to the Cincinnati Royals. And, of course, that was good for me because I grew up in Ohio, Mm. only about 70 miles from Cincinnati. And I went to Miami University in Ohio, which is 35 miles from Cincinnati. So it worked out just fine for me.
0: Mm.
2: And uh, also, several of their players retired that year. I think there was only three remaining players back. So to make the team, uh, you know, it wasn't that difficult. But they needed players.
1: (laughs) Got a lot of minutes early, I'd say.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, I think it was your, correct me if I'm wrong, your third season when Oscar Robertson got there. Second or third season?
2: He came after the second season, yeah.
1: He second came in the third season. Now, what was a rookie Oscar Robertson like? What was he like just in the locker room, being around?
2: Great. I got to know him pretty much because during the offseason, we'd work out over at the University of Cincinnati. Mm. And so I played against him in pickup games. And so we got to develop a relationship then. And, uh, you know, needless to say, he was a great player uh, in college, and he carried on into the pros. and I'm glad that we had territorial rights back in those days because that Mm -hmm. many come to Cincinnati, and he certainly helped my game.
1: (laughs) What what was it like playing with him? Like, actually, you know, you said you did the workouts and – off season, but what was it like finally getting him on the court as a teammate?
2: Well, he set the standard, and uh, he uh, encouraged his teammates, and, of course, you know, the league and assists, uh, and then he gave the ball up quite a bit. And so uh, we developed a pick and roll, and I give him credit for enhancing my career because I'd set a pretty decent pick. And mm. you rolled the basket and you'd kick it off or do a pick and pop and you could get it to me. And, you know, I, I just give him a lot of credit for my development and becoming the player that I did. Mm.
1: Now, back then, you know, he was getting the triple doubles. Was it a big deal back then when he would do it or it was just kind of Oscar just doing Oscar? He just had another game. That's just kind of how he, oh, how he yeah. did.
2: You know, we didn't pay too much about triple doubles and all those things. We just went out and played. Right. And uh, media and that didn't become a thing until later on. Mm. And then uh, the fact that he averaged triple double came to his attention, that, or to everyone's attention, gee, you know, he's leading the league in all these various categories. And uh, so the triple double became highly publicized. And, you know, it is what we know today.
1: Yeah, it's very big deal today. Now, yeah. your time in Cincinnati, how was Cincinnati as a basketball town? I'm curious.
2: Well, it was okay because they had two college teams.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, Cincinnati University, uh, University of Cincinnati and Xavier University.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then the Royals moved in Rochester to Cincinnati and it took a little while to get, get traction there. wasn't much fan attendance early on. Mm. And uh, we finally got some traction after we started winning. And, uh, of course, that's when Oscar came. We started winning on a consistent basis. Just couldn't beat the Celtics. Yeah. But we started uh, getting uh, more fans to come to the games. But uh, it was a tough sell.
1: Yeah. You played in Cincy, Boston, uh, as well as Milwaukee. Do you have a favorite basketball city of those three? Well,
2: I got to say Boston because we won championship there.
1: Okay. As a,
2: as a player. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Of course, Milwaukee, we won uh, when I was in the front office. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it's much more fun doing it as a player. Right. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, I'd say Boston.
1: Boston, okay. Now, did you know we've got the uh, the All-Star game coming up? I mentioned you made five of them. What do you remember about your first All-Star game?
2: Well, it was quite, a, quite an honor, you know. It was uh, in Syracuse, I believe. Okay. And other than the cold and the snow going <laughs> there uh, and the All-Star game was was quite an honor. And, and uh, course like i said i didn't know know that much about the nba back in those days so i didn't know what to expect wasn't wasn't anything like we have today
1: right
2: when you play the game and have i think you had a banquet the night before
1: they didn't know uh, slam dunk contest or anything that wouldn't
2: uh... none of that (laughs) just a banquet the night before an all-star game and they gave you a set of golf clubs i think or a watch or something i don't know (laughs) they, they that's what that's what we got for playing the all-star game. Things are a little different today.
1: Just a little bit, uh, a <laughs> bit more of a spectacle now.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you have a favorite of the all-star games you may or a favorite memory?
2: Uh, I got several memories. I, uh, I think it was the all-star game in Boston, of course, when we weren't going to play the game. Mm.
0: That
2: was, a, that was a significant event that, uh, place then we uh, want to be recognized as a union and as part of that have a, a pension right requires pension and it took two days to get to Boston because the snow on the East Coast and we had to fly to Minneapolis on a Sunday evening also again it was Tuesday if I recall <clears throat> so we flew to Minneapolis on uh, Sunday evening because we couldn't go anyplace on the East Coast and stayed, spent the night there and took off next day, Washington opened up, flew to Washington and spent the night there on Tuesday, the day of the game, we took a train from Washington to Boston and we got to Boston and I think Tommy Heinsohn met us in the lobby of the hotel where we were staying said, hurry up Get your bags get your uh, backpack come to the game early because we're going to have a meeting before the game
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he gave us a little insight as to what it was going to be about <clears throat> so we got there both teams were in one locker room and he gave us a little bit of more detail about what was happening what had transpired while we were in transit and he said that uh we're not going to play the game if we don't be recognized as a union and the owners don't commit to a pension. Mm. And this is going on for, I think we got down to the Boston Garden about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, games at 8 o'clock. We spent all that time trying to determine what we were going to do. And the commission would come in, and the ownership would come in, and Red would come in and say, you guys better get ready and get out on the court. And, of course, we were pretty adamant about not doing it. And so finally, <clears throat> we took a vote, and I think it was uh, 22 to 2 that we were going to play. And so dialogue continued, and finally, it was about three minutes to 8 o'clock, Commissioner came in and said, okay, we're going to commit. Wow. So we no warm-up, and jump ball, let's
1: go. You just walk straight out and ready to go.
2: Yeah. So that was quite a traumatic experience because I'd say. yeah, you know, After all we've gone through to get there because of the snowstorm. And then after the game, I was walking back to the hotel through the North Station and walking back up during the game, it's close the game, I got the final rebound and I could have there were seconds on the clock. I laid it back in for a basket, but I chose to just dribble it out. We were up three points or something. So, why why do that? Mm. And so, walking through North Station, I had several people come and verbally cuss me out. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't understand why.
1: <laughs> they had a little, a little something extra on the game.
2: <laughs> That's what I found out. I knew nothing about that. <laughs> being, the, being the country boy that I, that I am and was, I wasn't about that. And so finally- well, There's probably some
1: to, very happy people on the other side as well. Some people that are yeah, very happy I they probably didn't say, lay that ball so up.
2: Upset. I said, we won. Why are they so upset? He's <laughs> going. And then he explained it to me.
1: Yeah. So the whole time you were, you know, going Minneapolis to Washington to Boston, you all didn't have any idea about the about sitting out the game. You all weren't Absolutely. aware of that at all. Absolutely,
2: wow. no idea.
1: And you said it was Tommy Heinsohn that that kind of brought you guys yeah. into the fold.
2: He met us in the hotel lobby when we got in and said, "Hurry up, get down through the garden. We gotta have a meeting."
1: Was he the one leading the meeting, or who were some of the? I guess the main well, talkers. He was,
2: he, he, he was one. He was leading the meeting, and uh, I think Bob Cousy might still been around at the time, but Tommy was leading the meeting.
1: Hmm. Now, after uh, you, before you, I'm trying to make sure I have my my, uh, timeline straight. Before you went to the Celtics, you were ready to retire. Is that correct?
2: That's correct.
1: Now, what uh, what happened to, to, to bring you back into the mix?
2: Well, I was going to retire with Cincinnati because, quite frankly, in passenger seat belt. I could make more money in private business.
1: Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so I was going to retire and and uh, pursue a career in, with a soft drink company and and uh, so I had uh, announced that I was retiring. And then later on, uh, I was on. Well, I still went playing the Stokes game, the Lee Stokes game, which mm-hmm. there are those who may recall that game up in the Cutchers, uh, up in the Catskill Mountains. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, Russell sought me out and said, let's play golf. And uh, we did. And after a couple of moments, he says, You don't really want to retire, do you? And I said, Yeah, I'm going to retire to make more money uh, in in, uh, the corporate world. And he says, Well, what if we make a trade for you? I said, Well, I still think I ought to retire. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, Well, talk to Red and we get in off the golf course. Mm. So he takes me to Red's room and Red says, uh, you're not going to retire. we got a chance to make a trade for you. So if you'll come out of retirement, we can do this deal, and you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. I said, well, Red, I think I can make more money outside. He says, well, you, you don't have a championship ring yet. You deserve a championship ring. And he says, what do you need? Do? And he says, I think, again, fasten your seatbelt, $25,000. You're
1: capable. <laughs> The big bucks.
2: I can make more than that, Red. He said, "Yeah, but you don't get the playoff money. You get the playoff money." True. And I said, "Well, let me think about it. Talk to my wife." So we talked about it and called him a couple of days later and said, "Okay, we'll come."
1: Now you end up winning a, getting your championship ring that year. What was it like playing? I guess, with and for Bill Russell. He was the player and coach at that point, correct? Yeah,
2: he he uh, the first year. I got there was 60, what was it, 66, 67 season, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, that was his first year as a coach, and so uh, that was the year also that 76ers won 72 games, I think, or mm-hmm. I can't remember how many, but they had a hell of a year, mm-hmm. so they ended up beating us in the playoffs, cut the championship string, and and uh so i felt a little bad about that But then the next year we came back of course strong and won the championship so i got my championship ring you're right
1: did it take much convincing from uh, bill and red after that first year or you knew you wanted to come back and get the the ring before you called it well, yeah, well
2: i signed a two-year contract so
1: oh yeah that'll do it yeah yeah now, after that, you ended up playing one more year. Milwaukee selected you in the expansion draft. So how was how was that experience? Like, even getting selected there, deciding to, you know, stick around another year and playing for Milwaukee. How was that experience?
2: Well, of course, I, I
1: didn't want to leave the Celtics. Hmm.
2: But I realized also they could only protect so many players. right? And I, it was, we were hoping that uh, because of age, it wouldn't take me. And again, Russell and I were on the golf course the day of the expansion draft. <laughs> and so after nine holes, I called home to see if my wife had heard anything. She said, yeah, you've been picked by Milwaukee. Wow. So I came back to the cart and I took a golf club out and I chased Russell around the golf course. <laughs> <over>. <laughs> so we um, I was
0: He thought,
2: thought the same thing. They thought the same thing. They wouldn't take me because of age. Mm. But as a- Turned out Larry Costello was the coach, and of course, we really played against Larry for a number of years, and I guess he liked the way I played, and wanted be there for his leadership as well. Hmm. So it turned out to be a great move for me, obviously.
1: Yeah, and after that, you,
2: all the years after.
1: Yeah, that, I think immediately after that, like, did you have any intention of getting into the front office in Milwaukee or, or anywhere? Or you were ready to go back to the, you know, private business world.
2: Absolutely no intention whatsoever, because mm. I uh, had gone to Milwaukee, played that year, and that was the year they drafted Cream at the, end of the season. And I didn't think I could beat Cream. It was Lou Alcindor then, but he mm. of course changed his name to Cream and Will Jabbar. I didn't think I could beat him out. <laughs> so I, I, I did retire and went back to Boston to director of recreation for the city. I did color commentary on a Celtic broadcast.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I did that for a good part of a year. And the owner of the Bucks came through Boston to the tennis tournament. and Because uh, he and Arthur Ashe were good friends. And so he gives me a call and he says, Wayne, can I come by and see you? He said, sure, you got it ride, I'll pick you up. So I went mm-hmm. and picked him up, him by the house, and we chatted for a while and he says what about coming back to milwaukee and he says no i don't think so i think i got things going pretty good here and uh uh, i got a chance to get in the mcdonald's franchise and i just don't think i want to leave that
0: Mm.
2: and he says well we want you to come back really think about it and so we talked about it a little further. He says, Come back, I want you to be assistant to the president because of your experience in that, and that. He was fairly new to the NBA game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need you. And so we talked about it. He encouraged my wife as well. And so when he's getting ready to leave, he said, Oh, by the way, <clears throat> we got a chance to make a trade for Oscar Robertson. What do you think? <laughs> I said, Well, if you can get Oscar Robertson, you've got an immediate championship. Yeah. And so uh, he says, well, can you give him a call and tell him you're coming back and maybe give him a little nudge? And I said, well, I'll call Oscar. And I said, I don't know what good to do, but I'll, I'll be happy to do it and tell him we're going. Hmm. Whether that have anything to do with it or not, him coming. Uh, but we'll see. So as it turned out we united in Milwaukee. Oscar is a player and be in the front office. And they did go ahead and win the
1: championship, so I was kind of a prophet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> now, how was
2: it? Awesome. Didn't, didn't take much to realize that, did it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you get Oscar and, and Kareem together, I feel like it—it it, kind of works itself out.
2: Yeah, it works itself out. And of course, you got players like Bobby Danvers. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize how great a player he was. Mm-hmm. But he was a great player, and so we had a great team.
1: Now, the trade for Oscar or any trade in general, what did like making a trade look like back then? I'm just curious to, was, you just pick up the phone and say, hey, hey, I want this guy. And you just talk it out. How, how did it work? Uh,
2: well, that's how it worked pretty much the way it works now. Uh, yeah, I guess Noel, he had an interest. And mm. uh, Oscar had no trade clause in his contract, so he could determine where he would be traded. And he was kind of mm-hmm. anxious to get out of Cincinnati. For different reasons, I guess, hmm. and so the owner, the the general manager, were able to make that trade and turned that great from Milwaukee.
1: Hmm. At that point, again, you said you didn't have any intention. Did you? Did they make you aware of it that you were going to be like one of the first, if not the first, you know, black? You said assistant to the president, and then eventually general manager. Like, was that on your mind when you took those roles? Absolutely not.
2: I had hmm. no idea that. That the president was leaving he was president slash general manager and i had no idea he was leaving and so one afternoon uh ownership called me and said i want you to meet be in my office at four o'clock and so i had no idea why mm. and So i go to his office and two of his other board members were in the office and he says uh sit down and i was going Concerned because I thought, uh, oh,
1: okay.
2: yeah, gonna fire me. I didn't have any clue why I was there. Mm. And he just simply says, You're the new general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I just sat there. I was <laughs> it. He says, Well, I says, uh, aren't you happy? And I said, Well, tell me, give me some detail why, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, he says, Well, Ray Patterson is leaving. Ray was the president general manager, and he said he's leaving, and so you're the new general manager. Mm. So we worked out the details, and I became the general manager of Milwaukee Bucks. And at the time, follow up your question. I had no idea that I was the first. I guess I should have because I I've been in the league for that number of years and I didn't see anybody like look like me as a general manager. So, but I never get any thought. I just thought I was named general manager and I just happened to be black. I got a job to
1: do. Good. What were some of the, I guess, struggles or challenges you faced in the front office, either in Milwaukee, you did some time in Cleveland, you helped out in Toronto, but just overall, what were some of your struggles or some things that took some getting used to in the front office? Well, you
2: know, The business of basketball, of course, is very difficult. You have to really be diligent in what you're doing and use your background experiences, try to do the best you can. Uh, I uh, realized that early on I was no longer a player. I had to adopt that philosophy because uh, I had played with some of the guys that I managed early yeah. on, you know, because uh, my year in Milwaukee, but also with Oscar, all those years I played with him.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So now, all of a sudden, I had to manage them, and uh, I adopted the philosophy that uh, it's a player's game. I, I knew that from having been a player,
0: yeah.
2: but also uh, that you had to, I had to get, gain mutual respect with them, but to respect that I no longer am their teammate or running buddy in the front office, and I have a greater responsibility, and that was to create an environment for them to succeed, and so uh, the challenges of putting together a team, negotiating contracts, all those things were a new experience for me, so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh, I had to learn quickly, and I, of course, forever grateful for the help I got for some of the other general managers in the league that kind of helped me along. Pete Newell at the time, Stu and Jerry Colangelo, and I became very mm-hmm. close. And, and so we shared our experiences and ideas, and so it, was, it wasn't it was it wasn't easy early on.
1: Uh, I bet not. Now, there are currently eight black general managers. So what do you think of like the progress that the league has made from the time of you being the first one, and now they're or eight. There are more, but still you could arguably be more.
2: Well, I think uh, the fact that we have made tremendous progress, and the NBA has been at the forefront of all that. Hmm. uh, Diversity and and inclusion and and, uh, the NBA, I think, has been at the forefront and always cognizant of the fact that we can do better. Right. And uh, so we have to think along those lines. And, of course, I encourage uh, those who have an interest to be diligent and, and do whatever they need to do to prepare themselves and never give up.
1: Hmm. Now you were showing us your uh, book. I don't know if you still have it close with you. The Inside Game. You believe you said you wrote that. In the early 2000s. Can you tell us about that? You're talking about maybe doing a sequel, but can you tell us about the first part first?
2: Well, The Inside Game is pretty much uh, memoir of my life. You know, growing up on a farm in rural Ohio and uh, being the only black student in high school and being one of the few at Miami University and my like NBA career being uh, the only black player on the Cincinnati team back in those days and until Oscar came. And, and uh, so it's pretty much reliving that history. Mm. And then I talk about years in the front office and the experiences and uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly ball transpired as a GM. Uh, some which will shot people with it, it, it happened and so I think it is you know I've gotten good reviews on it it's educational as well as uh, social
1: so hmm. Now, what to, what would you like to put or uh, mention in part two like in, in the nearly 20 years from part one you said you were thinking about the sequel what would you like to cover in the second part
2: well how uh, the NBA has grown and how uh, it's my what sixty second year or something over the sixty years and mm-hmm. kind of pick up from where I left off then and talk about the progress and you know the the game itself how remarkable it's it's become mm. because, you know you go back in the old days that I write which I write in the first book about very few fans early on until you started winning and nothing like today I think. Uh, the all-star game we talked about earlier was the first all-star game was televised. Wow. If my memory serves me correct, correctly, I I think it was the first all-star game was televised and that's why it was so important. We played the game. Right. And so, but just how the game has grown and how it has become diverse. Obviously you look at the composition of the teams and, and what's happening and how it's become a global sport. Hmm and uh we've got six continents i believe represented in the nba mm-hmm. and i think it's remarkable how the game has grown and uh both on the court and off the court and in front composition in front of offices and and the world of analytics and what all has uh, transpired there it's just so much that's happened over the years that yeah. i think i can Put together
1: a pretty good book. I, I was gonna say, there's plenty, plenty left for uh, for you there to, to catch up on. Yeah. Do you still follow the game? You still watching games actively?
2: Well, I am a senior advisor. Mm-hmm. Literally,
1: a senior advisor
2: <laughs> to, to the Toronto
1: Raptors. Okay.
2: So, uh, and still, much interested in the game and where we go.
1: It, uh, yeah. Raptors aside, you, you have any favorites or favorite teams you you like to watch or players you like to keep an eye on?
2: You know, I uh, I like watching them all. I like to Good. watch players grow and develop, and I like the players that play with a lot of grit, like uh, our own uh, Kyle Lowry, Freddie mm-hmm. Van Choo, two mm-hmm. six foot players that really play with a lot of grit and toughness. And uh, I uh, am glad to see that Embiid and some of the bigs are starting to resurf- bigs are starting to resurface with the development of them. Mm. And uh, but I like to watch all the players, obviously, because that's my job, mm. you know. But uh, of course, LeBron and. Kawhi and KD and those guys are always always fun to watch. Steph Curry,
1: glad mm-hmm. Steph Curry's dad and Cleveland. Okay. Now, any players now that remind you of yourself, or? Wow. I have to think on that
2: one.
1: Okay. <laughs> now, you bitch like the bigs coming back, the three point line debuted after you had retired. So what do you think of people are kind of split on it? Like it's too many threes. Some see it going higher. There's not enough threes. What what do you, what's your read on it?
2: Well, I thought it was good innovation for the game. I think, uh, when we did <clears> that, I was on the competition committee when we, when we brought the three point shot in. Mm. And
0: uh,
2: I think what it's done is helped improve outside shooting. Right. Uh, but also they've been more focused on three-point shot than, than uh, the mid-range or even around the basket. And so it's kind of taking the bigs out of the game a little bit. But big – you know, I, I tell people I shot three-point shots when when I played because mm. Russell wouldn't let me shoot inside. So <laughs> I had to do that. <laughs> yeah. so,
1: you just didn't get three yeah. points for him, not yet.
2: And they got two points, Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, uh, no, I think it's it's good for the game. I I just like to see more
1: balance. Right. Cool. Got a couple questions. Before we get to those, I'd like to know, what's something that you right now would tell yourself at at 18 or 21 years of age?
2: What would I tell myself?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Any piece of advice you would have for yourself, for for Wayne Embry at 18 years old or 21 years old?
2: Wow. Uh, I just think have a purpose and have a lot of pride in what you do and do it right. Uh, You know, how you perform, how you conduct yourself is very important. Mm -hmm. because people are watching and i think uh you can be a great representative to the the sport but as as also the person in sex, because we're all human beings before we do anything else Mm -hmm. and uh so how we conduct ourselves present ourselves can make a difference
1: definitely so I think we've got a couple of viewer questions here that won't keep you too long. First one is, what are your thoughts on the Bucks sitting out game five last summer in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake? Well,
2: I think they want to make a statement. And, uh, mm. you know, we were, in a very, we we're in a very difficult time. And I think uh, players have a right to make a statement they see fit and
0: hopefully
1: people listen. Hmm. See our next question we've got. See who who was your favorite draft pick that you chose as an NBA executive? Oh boy,
2: who is my favorite?
1: I don't want pay favorites. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess a couple oh. of your favorites. Well uh
2: Brad Doherty, of course.
1: Mm.
2: Uh, We had quite a few in Milwaukee. Uh, One that a lot of people don't realize we drafted was Dr. J, Julius Erving. He never got to us, but we did draft him. Uh, Boy, let me think.
1: That's a good, if you got some time, that means you got a lot of, you made a lot of good picks that you got to run back through.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we we did pretty good point guards in Cleveland. Hmm. I don't know. Brad Doherty was certainly good. And uh, I don't like to play favorites, but Hmm. we we made a lot of good
1: picks. Okay, (laughs) there you go. Yeah. Next one is from For Your Eyes Two. He says, if you could change one rule to the game, what would it be?
2: I would go back to the old word, players can't palm the ball. Mm. One, I'd go back to that. And I think I would uh perhaps take the three point line out of the corner, make the the three point line go to the baseline, sideline, I'm sorry, as
1: opposed to the mm.
2: break, break and go into the corner, take away the corner three
1: mm Why is it? Why take away the corner three?
2: Because that's an easy shot. Why should you know the, the distance between that shot and the shot out top? You get the same for. I think it's about a foot closer or something. Hmm. So you get the same number of points for top of the key or top of the arc three that you do from the corner. Hmm.
1: i think that's our last viewer question we got one last question we ask all our legends we're getting together our second part of our playlist what's something that you're listening to now it can be old it can be something new if you listen to it around the house you know in the background while you're watching games anything at all what uh what do you like mm-hmm. to listen to
2: uh, i like to listen to
1: Motown. Motown. okay the old school
2: we're talking about music right Yes, sir. Gladys and, and Motown. Okay. Gladys is the All Star game, but she's not going to be singing. Then they trained to Georgia. And, <laughs> and the best thing that ever happened to me, she will be singing those. No. Nah. Like, I'm a Motown era guy. And okay. of course, jazz. Uh, I still like jazz.
1: Hmm. Who are you, some of your like favorite jazz musicians?
2: Country and Western, too, as a matter of fact.
1: Okay. So you listen to a little bit of everything.
2: I like all music.
1: Yeah. My mom growing up, she listened to the Metropolitan
2: Opera on Saturday afternoons and Grand Ole Opry at night. Mm. And so I just got a good to, blend uh, to all
1: that, man. Okay, we'll, we'll uh we'll add a couple songs, get some mix <laughs> on the on the playlist for you. Mr. All Wayne right. Ember, thank you so much for joining us, sir.
2: Well it's been enjoyable. Thank you.
1: Of course. We'll talk to you soon. Mm. All right, and that'll do it for this week's Legends Live. As you know, we've got new episodes live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central on the NBA, NBA Alumni's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch page. I'd like to remind viewers you can watch replays of any episode at legendsofbasketball.com slash legendslive. You can catch the audio replay of our conversations by searching for Legends Live wherever you get your podcast. I'd like to give a big thank you to Wayne Embry for joining us, as well as to Bridget and Julio behind the scenes. And we'll see you next Thursday.